0: This fall, you'll meet a man who's unlike anyone you've ever seen on podcasts. podcasts. His brain is a superior weapon. And he'll take on any challenge no one else can
1: handle.
2: What are you doing down there? Free and my back doesn't give up. His name is M
0: L. I made her beat America's extraordinary new heroes Tuesdays. This fall. God, I hate
3: heights. Mac- Soul of Detroit. You'll love it.
2: Get your finger It's gone. What are you doing? What are you doing? Come on. That is not paid for by them. That is painful by the people of Detroit.
4: you might be qualified, ML. I'm
2: not qualified for this job. Let me tell you something. You want to go right now? Okay? You want to go right now, Elric? Hello, my good friends. It's your old pal, ML Elric. I am back in the basement, and it's so great to be here. I, I must confess, I'm a little confused. I thought I would have seen... All those chronic masturbators who send me the mean text messages, because I've always heard they're in the basement, and they're sitting there (laughs) furiously typing away at their computer, and that's where they find the courage to say the crappy things that they put out on social media. But to my surprise, I found two other people uh, who—they've touched a lot of people, and and perhaps themselves— Mr Mark Fellhauer and Sean Windsor and we are trying to maintain social distancing as you can see we have our our fine uh, Soul of Detroit branded anti covid uh, cloaking devices here, the Gator and Mark has his mask on or has a mask handy. I, 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 it's in my hand. It's I in his put hand. Okay. Well, that's going to save a lot of lives right there. <laughs> well,
5: um, you guys are both wearing them. I don't need to wear one. Yeah, when,
2: when properly applied, that could change the whole course of human history, and you can find those at our, our swag shop, DrewAndMikeStore.com. But we're joined by a very special guest, Devin Skillian, who was going to join us Just before the world blew up, we were going to meet at the Cadu Cafe and do a St. Patrick's Day show. And right up until the day before, we were still reluctantly planning on doing it. Devin was was a sport. He's like, yeah, I'll do it. And uh, I didn't have the heart to ask him, hey, uh, do you want to do it? Because maybe we're all going to die. And luckily, we were able to make the decision that it wasn't a good idea. But uh, just so you know... Devin was willing to go where angels fear to tread, and, uh, and now he's, we're getting him today. So, so, Devin, thank you very much for joining us here on the Soul of Detroit. We have Matt Jennings on standby for this week in Soft History, and Joey Zuber is the one who is, uh, who is earning his money and then some by trying to keep us up and running. And we're going to be joined shortly by Darren Nichols, contributing columnist at the Detroit Free Press. So, uh, so we have quite a show for you today, um, before we get to to all of the great stuff, uh, I want to give you a quick update on the protests that I've been participating in as a journalist, and the press conferences that I've been participating in as a journalist. So, in other words, I'm not on anybody's side. I spoke to Tristan Taylor uh, about a week and a half ago, who is one of the leaders of Detroit Will Breathe, the Black Lives Matter organization that has been keeping the marches going in Detroit, and he had suggested to me. That um why aren't the police just peacefully uh, apprehending us or taking us into custody? In other words, just saying you are now in violation of a lawful order. you are going to be arrested. please come along quietly, sort of the old Robocop thing, right? What, what's more What's more Detroit than uh, Robo come quietly right? or there'll be trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, and so his point was, you know, we'll come if uh, if if beckoned. So I asked the chief of police if, if he thought that might be a new strategy. If anybody watched that on Facebook Live, I would say uh, I got clowned pretty hard by the chief. Uh, He thought it was the most ridiculous thing ever. And I said, well, okay, well, just asking. And yesterday I had a chance to tell Tristan out front of the federal courthouse where we reported on a federal lawsuit that's been filed, basically trying to stop the Detroit police from doing everything they've been doing to keep order in the city. And Tristan kind of laughed that the chief thought it was funny. And then I said, well, have you thought of approaching the chief and saying, you know, if you guys just tell us to come quietly, we won't, we won't have any trouble. And he started laughing and I hmm. said, so this is great. So now the chief laughed at your question and now you laughed at your question. So I said, everybody asked this damn question to his laughing. so I guess I better stop. And he goes, ah, oh, you poor guys in the media. And I said, oh, well, it's, it's really, really not that bad. But uh, are, we, are we back up? He is back, Yeah. Okay. I was so. going to say,
0: thanks. Uh, I, I drove all this way for this, right, Mark? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> aren't you glad you did uh, Some things don't change, but that's okay. Go ahead.
2: But we now have our guest here, and he's a busy man, so we're going to get right to it. Uh, Devin Skillian, anchor at Channel 4, longtime uh, fixture on Detroit News, one of the most trusted voices. And uh, as the ladies tell me, one of the most appreciated faces on TV. <laughs> um, I, I, I I told him, I said, you know what? He's got a brain. You know, let's, let's, let's give him some credit here. And we got another good looking gent on the line with us too. Darren Nichols, contributing columnist from the Detroit Free Press. Darren, thanks for joining us this morning. So Devin, I want to just jump right in because it's, it's September. It's been uh, eight months, nine months, and it feels like we've already had more news than we've had in a decade. Mm-hmm. Do you remember a period like this? I mean, I remember thinking 2020 was going to be, well, it's going to be a cakewalk and uh, boy, oh boy, if, if it's a cakewalk, Somebody put some files in those cakes, maybe Kwame Kilpatrick, and they, they're pointing upwards because every step you take seems to pierce your
3: foot. I knew that uh, 2020 was going to be crazy because we had, a at least for f- around our place, because we knew we had a presidential election. We were supposed to have the Olympics. We were going to have wow. two political conventions. Uh, we had the auto show moving for the first time to the summer. Um, so we had all these things that were supposed to uh, glom around this uh, these just couple of months that we were all terrified of, actually, at Channel 4, because a lot of them are things that we're exclusively involved in, like the Olympics. Um, the fireworks, which, of course, went last night instead of back in June. So I knew we were in for a, a crazy ride, and then instead we went from 60 to zero. And it, it for the, in a, in a different way. It's been a crazy kind of year, just not the way we expected. But the news wise. And I, I tell people it's been like sipping out of a fire hose every day. We cannot keep up with the, with the flow of news, the number. I keep getting emails going, why don't you guys cover this? Why don't you cover that? I'm like, Are you kidding me? I, I, yes, if I had we need 3,000 reporters right now to chase down every single thing that's going on every day. So it's been nuts.
5: Do you ever uh, get sick of the news because you know we, we cover the news with the podcast every day and it can get very wearisome. But you, I mean, it's your job. You have to stay on top of it. Do you ever just get exhausted by it?
3: Uh, I, I get exhausted by uh, by some of it. There's no doubt about it. And we too often, we are our own worst enemy in the media. And we can talk about this later right? because I know we want to talk about what's happening with modern media. And we've become our own worst enemy in some cases because we we tend to focus on the wrong things sometimes. I tell people that when, you know, when I went to journalism school, I was taught that the role of a journalist was to go out and find the things that were truly important and then try to make them interesting. And today we get it backwards all the time. We go out, and we find crap that's interesting, and we try to make it somehow seem important. And that is a that is a dereliction of our duty at keeping our minds focused on what's truly important and what people need to know. And we've done that at our own peril too many times. Um, but then you see at a moment like this where we are trying to, to stay focused on what scientists are telling us, what doctors are telling us. And I keep getting these emails, uh, you know, but I saw this YouTube video <laughs> that says that masks are bad for you or something. And I just want to pound my head on my desk um, because we really have... Uh, We've got a big problem now with understanding what legitimate and accurate information is versus that which simply comports to our worldview. And that's the battle right now that is driving me crazy. Not so much the news itself, but the way people react. How, to it.
5: how much do you feel social media maybe drives um, a story because there's good video behind it or there's a lot of reaction to it, whereas it might not be the most important thing for an issue or a story? You know,
3: television has always struggled, and, and I've always had a, a very uh, torn relationship with this fact, but we've always struggled with stories that aren't particularly video-friendly or video-rich Um Uh, ML knows this from when he worked in television, the same stories that he wanted to cover at the paper weren't necessarily television friendly. And that's just a fact of, you know, we are, we do have this video reality that we have to be able to somehow visualize the stories that we think are important, but social media, the pressure of that with things that go viral and the things that people are, I, I trace this back to, and this is actually before social media took hold but when I think about the day the music died in, in, uh, in television journalism, I remember poor Tom Brokaw back in the 90s uh, trying to read the story about John and Lorena Bobbitt. Oh. <laughs> and that was a story that was clearly uh, interesting. Was it important? Apparently not even to Lorena Bobbitt. She just tossed it out the window. But to have poor Tom Brokaw, this very dignified journalist, having to read that story because it had gone viral, because it had this talkability that everybody was talking about it. And if you weren't covering it, then you somehow looked disconnected and unattached. To sort of the national conversation, that was where we, you know, we started to give in to this idea. And then social media came along and really capitalized on how do you make something go viral and become part of this national uh, talk, uh, this national talking point.
2: I, I felt sorry for Tom Brokaw because Lorraine Bobbit would be a very hard word for him to say. Lorraine <laughs> Babit. <laughs>
3: Not as bad as when Leon Klinghofer was thrown off the Achille laro. Oh, that was when it really got tough for Tom. Oh.
2: And then when he was a weatherman, when he had that rain in Spain, that's when he switched to news, right? I mean, just like anyway, on the plains of North Dakota, where I spent many years as a as a boy. But he's a giant in the news business. He is shrinking now because of his cancer treatments. But we're glad that he's still around. And and I, you know, I miss guys like that who uh, can talk about these political conventions from when they were more than just uh, a production piece, when things did happen on the convention floor. But when you, when you talk about these crazy things that we, we, uh, we have to chase, just yesterday at this press conference, a woman came up to me and said, you know, I want you to, to try and do a story on my police brutality case in one of the suburbs, you know, because I think you really need to cover this issue. And I said, I- I'm here covering that issue <laughs> Right now, and she's like, "Well, you got to do my story too." I'm like, "I'm sorry, we, 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 you know, one per customer that we, you know, do you have a subscription to the paper? Because we don't have enough reporters." But what what really kills me is it feels like we spend almost as much time unreporting stories when people put things out there that aren't true. Like, uh, what's the best way to say stay safe during a pandemic? There's this, that, and the other thing. And by the way, these things that somebody else is pushing out there, they don't work. And and we have to research that because we don't want to say something that might work, won't work. And when you're trying to tell somebody that what they told you isn't true, you better be sure because the last thing that you want to do is tell somebody they're wrong when they're really right. And so this, this trying to deal with the counter narrative, it's absolutely exhausting. And at the end of the day your head is spinning and you do all that. And then some joker saw something on some website. and said, well, didn't, what about this one? And you're like, well, I guess I got to read that. And then it turns out to be more bullshit. And you're like, well, now I've fallen behind on doing real stories.
3: This is the central problem right now with, with reporters trying to cover the Trump administration. And I, I know that my opinion on this isn't necessarily popular among his supporters, but the real divide, I believe between the press and the president and the presidency is less political, is less philosophical. And it has more to do with the fact that from the, my very first day in journalism school, I was taught to try and figure out what the truth was and that that was what was going to take me through my career. As long as I was right, you could argue with my choice of story or, or my choice of priority that I might put on a story. But if I was right, that ultimately I was I was protected. And from the very first day of the Trump administration, when they sent Sean Spicer in there to scream at the reporters and demand that what we had just watched happen on the inaugural day crowd was not what we had actually watched. That set the die, that set the the way that the relationship was going to work and to keep telling me something that isn't true. And we're now at, as the Washington post has calculated, more than 20,000 statements from the white house that are either, Everything from slightly dishonest to liar, liar, pants on fire. That's a little bit like standing in front of a room full of cardiologists and chain smoking. You are standing on my last nerve, on my, on my one sensitivity that I have had from my first day of becoming interested in being a journalist. And that is really what has created the division between the press and this administration. It has, it, it has much less to do with politics, I believe. And I'll, I'll grant you that most of the editorial pages in America are more li- left leaning. Than right leaning, but, um, but most of us who work as reporters are not in the opinion business. We're in the fact business, and uh, it, it is there's a collision. I tell people that you know what, what's what's going on. My obsession with the truth keeps colliding with the president's uh, inability to always tell it, and so what's happening is my OCD is on a collision course with his Tourette syndrome.
2: Yeah, and Darren and I saw this in City Hall with with Kwame Kilpatrick, constantly yeah. attacking the media, constantly saying that people were out to get him, constantly saying it was a witch hunt. He was talking about fake news before fake news. We remember his mother saying, turn off that television, y'all. But the reason why was because he never asked for a correction. He never asked for a clarification because he couldn't fight the truth. But what he could do is try and kneecap the truth tellers. And Darren, you, you, you've got to remember, I mean, you've got to be having flashbacks to the Kilpatrick administration with what we're seeing with Trump and how, the, if you, if you can't fight the truth, turn the truth tellers into
4: unreliable sources and that that's what's going on. I mean, you can go back to Coleman Young. I mean, you can talk about uh, what Mike Duggan has done um, sending uh, putting uh, notes on his on the city's website against uh, uh, Charlie Ladoff and all of uh, the things that th- that people were covering in terms of demolition. And so I see it as a movement uh, among people who, um, you know, they attack the media and, and they get, com- they get um, uh, credibility from the people that, that support them. And so it's the, may- the media is bad and they're coming after me and, you know, uh, Don't believe them. Believe me,
0: Devin, do you do you worry that what what's happened with uh, the Trump administration in terms of the relationship with the press is a template, so to speak? That's that's what we're going to see moving forward, regardless of the political persuasion of the of the party in the White House or the Senate level, the House of Representatives level, the governor level.
3: Well, I can certainly see more people trying it because it has been, as we just said, effective. I also though wonder how much of it is peculiar and singular to Donald Trump, that his, his success at doing it might be more than others. It's, it's a bit of a Jedi mind trick that he, that he has pulled. And I will I, – I, first off, let's, let's admit the, the media's uh, responsibility and um, in his success – Uh, Because think back to 2016. Do you think when if Jeb Bush wanted to call into the Today Show, uh, into the Meet meet the Press, they would say, oh, sure, we'll just put you on the phone right off Mm -hmm. the top of the program? Not a chance. But they were willing to do it with Donald Trump because he was going to say something provocative and something crazy. And and so the media kind of entertained themselves into uh, a lot of Donald Trump's success at the time. And so there's some of this that is very specific to him. I've never seen it work like this. We've had of uh, how many ever presidents we've had in my lifetime. I'm a count of them. We've never had one that I either thought was always right or always wrong. And yet we've arrived at a time now where, uh, depending on where you are on Donald Trump, he's either always right or always wrong, which is a really strange place to be. Um, but yes, I, I, it is a template that other people will try. I just don't know if they'll be as effective at it as he's been. One of the I think about a teenager saying to his parents, don't believe what you hear about me. Only believe what I tell you about me. And your parents going, oh, oh OK. But that's kind of what's happened. People only believe uh, a lot of his supporters only believe what he says about. And so that's why people believe when he says that there was a, there were a lot of fraudulent votes cast in 20, a lot of illegal votes is the reason that he didn't win the, uh, the, the popular vote uh, four years ago. And that's. There's absolutely no evidence. It's absolutely untrue. And yet he's been very successful at getting people to believe that and many other things.
5: A lot of people are critical of the media for not taking on the governor. Um, and the governor really, in my opinion, has not faced many tough questions about um, a lot of her executive orders, how to handle coronavirus or with the nursing homes. We haven't seen her really challenged on that. And so people feel like, Oh, we can trash Trump. The media just trashes Trump, but nobody ever asks the hard questions for, say, the executive leader of this state. And I just wanted your opinion on that.
3: Can I assume you didn't watch the interview with her on
5: Flashpoint? I was when sleeping. I I, I, you know what? I, as I finish <laughs> that question, I'm like, I'm like, I don't know. I know she was on Flashpoint. She's going to come back and I fight said me to in her, the I
3: said, you know, I, 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 I don't understand this idea of putting COVID patients in nursing homes. Now, I'm not a doctor. But it, to me, it's a little bit like I don't know what to do with all these boa constrictors. Let's just put them in the nursery with the babies until we figure it out. its it uh, it, It's been confounding. And now...
5: Let me give you another it's, example. You know, she, uh, said, you know, the, um, auto plants are the, are one of the safest ways to open and casinos are totally safe. And let's open that. Yeah. And, and a lot of people, maybe, maybe we're too cynical, but we feel like, no, that, that's a lot about money and politics. You know, you have tribal casinos that are open. So let's get Detroit the money they make from those casinos. And I don't know if she's really been challenged enough on that. Was she, did she uh, address I- that on Flashpoint?
3: Uh, she, I asked her about about uh, that too, and and she, you know, yes, her answer I think has grown wearying for yeah. a lot of people who are upset with her policies. That she always says, "Well, you know, we're relying on the science," mm-hmm. and yet that science they're relying on isn't always available. You go to the state to the to the state's websites on uh, on on COVID response, and you're not we're not always sure exactly what the how what the connection is between data and the decisions she's making. Now, what I will, what I guess we, we would have to also point out there was a British study back at the early, early part of the summer that suggested that the moves that she made probably saved quite a few lives because sure. we we had the the disadvantage of being very early and and there weren't a whole, there weren't a whole lot of protocols in place for how to handle patients and that's why we still have one of the highest uh, percentage mortality rates still around five percent of the cases in Michigan have led to death and that's if you believe. The way that the tallies are, some people obviously believe there are probably many more cases than we have uh, accounted for. But um, it it was clearly more deadly in the states that got it early because we really didn't have a lot of things in place. But even though we had this really huge uptick in cases and a huge uptick in deaths early on, in fairly short order, with the orders that she brought around, as painful as they were, the state has been able to bring those cases uh, uh, back in line to the point now where it looks like we're going to we're going to try and open gyms. But yes, I never my big one that I that I asked her about, and uh, the lieutenant governor and Janae Khaldun about was why was the lottery so yeah. essential you watch people show up at a convenience store that they're, they're standing in line to buy lottery tickets it, it there's there's hand you know you're you're handling paper it seems very against all of the uh, all of the protocols and all of the advice isn't the only explanation that it's a revenue stream
4: uh for the state I, i've never got a great answer on that one either i wanted to follow up on the donald trump phenomenon How much did him being on Celebrity Apprentice for 15 years give him more credibility uh, than the average person that would make all of the um, kind of accusations that he did?
3: It's a great question. I, um, you know, to be sitting in a boardroom where you're where you appear, everybody is uh, sort of. Um, uh, deferring to your opinions, your thoughts, and your hiring and your firing. Um, I don't know that it, it, that it felt particularly presidential, but it certainly felt CEO-ish. It certainly felt like a leader. Uh, and I think that, yeah, I think that. That 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 was pretty effective, but I think that the more uh, the more effective thing. I mean, I, I, when he first started his campaign, even his most ardent fans never thought he had a chance of winning. But what he was much better at doing as the thing went along was continually framing the debate, especially given that uh, Darren, you remember when those first debates, the very first debates, where they had to have two different nights uh, and two different or not two different nights, but two different debates because we had too many people. And so you had 20 people that night trying to make their point. And so when it came time to cover the debate, instead of saying, here's what all 20 candidates had to say about uh, trade policy, it was almost impossible (laughs) to do that. So instead, here was Donald saying, Lion Ted, Crooked Hillary, Low Energy Jeb, uh, and, and that's what ended up, you know, owning the narrative much more than than substance. And part of that was structural because there were so many candidates. But he he completely defined the way that, that we covered the race. There's no doubt about that.
5: In my opinion, he's really masterful at pushing feeling um, over facts and a lot of times. And I, and I feel like we sometimes see this um, with what's going on in Portland and Kenosha. And the AP had a big story about... The uh, portrayal of, of mayhem in urban areas doesn't always match the reality. How much fault should the media get? Because you know what? Protests, burning buildings, that is, that's really good video. And next thing you know, you might have a 17-year-old crossing straight uh, state lines with a long rifle. Do you, do you think the media takes any of the blame for maybe pushing uh, the, the, the narrative on that?
3: Absolutely. And, and and in conjunction with the with social media, you put those two things together. And does anybody have a real understanding of what's going on in Portland? Or is everybody looking into a funhouse mirror? I got a good friend that I went to high school with who lives in Portland. And he writes me here once in a while and says, you know, this is all really happening within about a, a two block area. And it really is not. It's not affecting my life. He lives, you know, outside downtown and it's not, you know, it's, it's just that he doesn't, he doesn't recognize the Portland that he lives in every day. He doesn't recognize it when he sees it on, on television or certainly on social media. So yeah, it, we're, we're, we're all, we're, we all get crossed up in, in, in uh, these conflicting sort of narratives. And I also would, yes, there's probably this push for media right now to appear to be very sensitive and woke. And you know, or, or do you lose your ability to be to be critical when you're? <clears throat> You know, when you're maybe because I, I think a lot of people felt that this was a that, that that especially the first four years of Barack Obama was handled with such kid gloves because everybody wanted to appear sensitive and and didn't want to look like they were um they were being racially biased for the, the, the first black president that we ever had so that he got a freer ride the first couple of years. So I think the media always gets a little bit um, torn and and caught up in uh, a sort of either over-reading or under-reading social sensitivity.
2: Well, I I remember a meeting that we had, uh, Devin, in 2006, early in my time at uh, at Channel 4. I hesitate to say early because I wasn't there long enough for it to really be late. But uh, (laughs) there was a a, uh, a meeting with uh, the bosses and they had brought in some consultants and they said, we're going to give you – your answers to the questions and we're going to give you the public's answers to the questions. And they put some graphics up on a, on a big screen and it showed that something like the overwhelming majority of people who worked at Channel 4 thought we did way too much crime coverage. And the overwhelming majority of viewers wanted more crime coverage. So while I think we are all uh, distracted by shiny objects, we also have got to share some of that blame if that's what we're doing with our consumers, because if we keep showing this stuff and we keep doing this stuff, and nobody wants to watch you, now with people meters where you can tell probably as of probably in show whether people are watching or changing the channel, you know, this is a consumer-driven business. We we try and serve a higher purpose, but if nobody watches, then we're uh, then we're public television, and uh, you know, so I mean, it really. The people are getting what they want, and sometimes maybe that's because we don't find the right way to, to frame or to present uh, maybe more of the, the brand flakes on the shelf there so everybody goes right for a cap and crunch. But uh, but you know what, folks? You're the ones with the bowls and the big spoons, so if you're sick of your teeth falling out, uh, it might be time to grab some Cheerios.
3: It's it's fair, and this is a huge dilemma in a consumer-driven media marketplace. We don't have government media, and um, uh, for which I think you and I have long been grateful. But I also, uh, we are bound by, uh, uh, and it's kind of like we, we, people say we get the government we deserve, we probably yeah. get the media we deserve too, if that's what we're gonna support. But I would also say, and and I could go on a two-hour rant for you on how I feel about consultants um there's a lot of there's a lot of pests in the world red ants army ants fire ants but the worst is the consultant (laughs) and just like army ants consultants have the ability to lift many times their weight it's an illogical power that they have and i'm not sure that it was a great day when somebody in the news business said wait a minute why don't we just ask people what they want to watch I'm not sure that's really how news ought to work. And this goes back to what I said earlier about a, a professional journalist is the one who should be, dis, you know, basically has to decide what's truly important and separate the wheat from the chaff. And sometimes, yes, you're going to sneak, we, we do have to sneak a little bit of sugar into the into the, the shredded wheat every once in a while. You're exactly right. Um, but I also think that that's uh, part of our dereliction of duty. When I was a kid, life stopped in my house every night at six o'clock. Now, part of this was because I, I grew up in a military household. My dad did three tours of duty in Vietnam, so we were very tuned into what was going on in the world. But even when I would go see my aunts and uncles, my grandparents, at six o'clock, people would say, be quiet, I have to watch the news. Not, I want to watch the news, I have to watch the news, because we felt this obligation to be informed. Now, what happened? Did, we, did people stop feeling that obligation to feel informed? Or did we stop fulfilling it? You know, did we start serving up too much candy? Candy's great, but you but you don't go back for it every day. And we, in the news business, we need people to be eating that three that those those three square meals every day. And so it's it's incumbent on on us. Yes, put a little bit of sugar on the plate sometimes, but let's make sure that what's under. Of the sugar is this well-rounded meal and that's where that's where the demise of, of what's what we're watching happen with newspapers and ml i know you wanted to you wanted to get into this it is a really dangerous thing um we, we're um we're, we're at a, a really interesting crossroads here with people where people are now being asked to decide um are you going to support this or not and uh it's a tough ask for a lot of people because. Ever since Napster came along, we don't have to pay for anything online, do we? Yep. Isn't that sort of, I mean, shouldn't I be able to get everything I want for free? Maybe not.
0: Devin, I would just say to, to that point, at least in the newspaper business, or as Mike would say, what's left of it. We, uh, what's it's, left of it. Right, there's, to, to some degree, there's just human nature, right? So we, when, when I write a column right now, you can see, and when anybody writes anything for the Detroit Free Press, you can see in real time how many people are in it. And then you can gauge that throughout the day, and then throughout the week, and so forth. So then, when you're talking to your editor, right? That's the first thing that comes up at some point. That's just kind of where we're at. How many people are going to read this? Are people going to be interested? Are they going to? Is this enough to get somebody to spend money to subscribe? That's the conversation we've been having the last couple of weeks since we went to this new model. It's it's not that editors uh, dictate that that we have those conversations. It just crops up almost organically right because you know how the system works and you and you want to get read every every reporter wants to get read you want to get viewers it's just it's your job it, it is right and there's no way around that so policing that or self-policing that is uh is going to be really tricky moving forward
3: it it really is we are all we are all going to be a, a victim to to click culture we're all going to have to see you know i have to, yes i do have to have people watching my newscast or I don't get to do one anymore, mm. um, or they'll have to go find somebody else that they think will will come in and and and, and attract viewers. But I will say that, we, and this is so funny when people people always, when when people I get lots of emails from people who want to complain about the media in sort of a an on mass way, and I always joke and say, well, I'll bring it up at the next meeting, and that's part <laughs> of the problem is we you know we really don't move monolithically. We Everybody wants to think of the media as one thing, and yet you get five reporters together, they can't agree on what to have for lunch, much less on what story is the most important one of the day. But one suggestion that I've long had for newspapers, and you guys can tell me whether or not this is at all um, workable, or but in the old days... When I would pick up a newspaper, I knew that if I was on page seven or whatever it was of your local paper, I knew that I was reading a page full of opinion. Mm. And now when I go to Freep.com, WashingtonPost.com, New York Times – uh, it is all jumbled. Opinion is all jumbled up together with news coverage. And I think that is a really unhealthy thing. And I, I don't know if we need to. Let's make a movement where everything that is opinion comes in a purple font or a different typeface or has a, a different background on it. But I think we've got to do a much better job of step. And we don't have this problem as much in television, though they do on cable news. Um we don't do a whole lot in opinion, but I but I really think that the that, that newspapers need to do a much better job of separating news coverage from a page, because right now people have always believed that there was that there was there's no difference between the editorial page and the and the front page anyway, which I, I, I just it breaks my heart when people hear that because they don't understand how a newspaper works or how a, an editorial board works. And, and, and I, I really think that that's one thing that I would love to see a national movement of all the papers getting together and separating their opinion from their from their news coverage.
5: Uh, a while ago, you said that one of the criticisms is that people feel that the media or, or maybe TV uh, news is too woke. Is that in regards to, say, cancel culture um, or is that in regards to the overall social movement that is going on with the protest? What, what's the feedback you're getting there?
3: It's a good question. You know, it's funny because that's what the um, media wants to be uh, sometimes in the the effort to uh, to appear to be woke. Um, uh, It's the opposite. You don't know. In fact, I'm, I'm curious. I'd like Darren to weigh in on this. But right now in the city of Detroit where we have and I'm I feel we're very blessed to still have two newspapers and you can argue about joint operating agreements or whatever you want to do. But I cannot believe that we don't have a full time uh, columnist of color in either of the papers. I, 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 the, the, and, and quite the, frankly, we
4: don't have columnists at both papers at all. Um, which is why they're trying to make moves to bring people like me and others, um, to write columns, um, at the free press or the news. Um, and, and I do think in a city that's 80, 79 80% black, um, that you don't have someone who, um, weighs in on major issues that are going on in the city, um, I think is a disservice to uh, the people in Detroit. Um, You know, I remember the times of Betty Doraemus and Bill Johnson and uh, Luther Keith and um, all of these, and Susan Watson, and all of these um, high-profile black people who were weighing in and giving their opinions on... A multitude of things that are going on and it is slowly but surely it has gone away. Um, but again, they were independently owned for the most part up until about 1985. Um, and they weren't listening, listening to their bosses in, in, in DC. And so do the people in DC really understand, uh, the needs for Detroit is different than the needs in Arizona? Are they different than the needs in uh, Port Huron? Are they different than the needs in Lansing, um, in Indianapolis, in Cincinnati? And I think um, you have to treat in each individual newspaper as as one that services their community in, in the right way. And just as uh, Hispanic issues are more prominent in Arizona, the issues of African-American people in Detroit are more prominent. And, I, and so I think I think it's more of a byproduct of um, of that, as well as um, you can get people of color in your newsroom. But how do you retain them yeah. and how do you uh, yeah. Yeah. force them or how do you help to in, in, increase their their uh, what, what they do? I can tell you, for example, there, there's never been an editor that called me into their room and said, "Hey, Darren, what do you want to do with your career? Where do you see your career going?" And so, so for a lot of people, um, that frustrates them and makes them want to leave the business. Um, whereas I stuck it out.
3: Yep, yeah. yep, yeah, you're on the money, and the people you. you know, so I just, I just celebrated my 25th anniversary at Channel wow. Four a couple of weeks ago. Congrats! When I first got here and had uh, really no. um no experience with Detroit other than I was a Red Wings fan for reasons that I never fully understood. <laughs> um, when I got here, the people that you're talking about, uh, Betty uh, Luther, um, all the way through to Stephen Henderson, helped give me so much of an understanding of what... what I don't know where I would. Have, it had taken me forever to figure out Detroit but if I wasn't reading those people every day back when I first got here. And now those voices, those voices are missing. And I think it's completely... it's kind of suicidal because I think that the future of successful news gathering in the U S we're going to have national outlets that are going to survive, but local news is where is where the, the, the future is because there's lots of different places for me to find out what happened in Washington today. Only a few for what happened in Detroit. And as these papers become sort of, I don't want to say nationalized, but taken over by by corporate interests that don't necessarily have feet on the ground and are paying attention to what Darren's just talking about here. Uh, that 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 doesn't seem like a great recipe for um, for moving forward.
0: No, no, it's not. And I would say, and I think Darren knows this too. Um, uh, at least the free press is well aware of this, as he sort of alluded to. me. just a few years ago, we had you mentioned Stephen Henderson. We also had Michelle Riley and Drew Sharp. Yep. Right, with sports, uh, sort of social commentary, and then political commentary. Terry Foster. It, right, Terry Foster at the news, right. And so, in just a matter of a few years, it, 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 the idea that we don't have a, a, a black columnist that writing about any subject at either paper is sort of staggering. However, uh, the free press is is trying. There are conversations, and, and hopefully we can get this fixed, uh, at least in terms of a full-time position.
2: But It's not just... Local columnists. There's no political columnists. There was a time when I was the clerk in the Lansing Bureau that uh, people of all parties, I still remember John Truscott, who's now probably the top uh, consultant to politicians and businesses in Michigan, when he was just a squirt coming in for John Engler to drop off press releases and to go talk to Hugh McDermott. Republicans, Mm -hmm. Democrats, Mm -hmm. everybody came to talk to Hugh McDermott. They, they wanted to get his thoughts on things. They wanted to share things with him. They wanted to see if they could interest him in writing about a subject. And he was, you know, he skewed a little more left. He was he was not big on gun rights. He was very big on the environment. But everybody felt they could trust him. And nobody was out there saying, oh, that's just more crap from that lefty Hugh McDermott. I mean, there were trusted voices. And one of the reasons why we've lost those people, quite frankly, is because they're expensive. And when newspapers say, we've got to cut five jobs or two columnists, the bosses who don't like having these conversations with five people will say, I guess I got to have them with two and out they go. And what ends up happening is when people who have been around like Darren and I start thinking about, are we going to be able to retire here? Can we support our family here? We got a house. We got kids in college. We're thinking about, can we make more money? What else can we do? And newspapers are saying, well, we don't want to pay you more money and we don't have a job for you. And so we leave. So now who who can give you those thoughtful, insightful columnists? The old dogs, the people who've been around for a while, the Devin Skillings who've been here for 25 years. I guarantee you Flashpoint today is not the same thing it would have been on your first weekend in Detroit had you started with that on your first weekend in Detroit. I mean, you bring a little savvy with the gray. And and a lot of this, I think, is a bottom-line thing because I know how much the newspapers want to be more reflective of their community. The best people go. The people who stay here want to make more money. If they can't, they move somewhere else. Or they, they're in a situation like Darren where they're waiting for somebody to say, Darren, come into my office. Well, t- tell me about your hopes and dreams. And sometimes it's just shitty bosses who can't spot talent. I mean, I've, I've left four jobs in 20 years here because of <laughs> shitty bosses. So I, I speak with authority about <laughs> shitty bosses in Detroit. Okay, folks, you know, just don't take my word. Take my resume. But, um, but this is happening with TV, too. We see the Sinclair Group. They're trying to basically become a syndicated TV network, one of the largest ownership groups where they're feeding stuff that they want every station to have. And and Graham Media, which owns your station, has, what, six stations? You've got to be probably the smallest high-quality television news outfit in America. And I I worry about the future of that because there's a lot of sharks and uh, they, they love minnows.
3: I agree uh, that, that, um, it's funny because one of the, one of the things that I loved about coming to Detroit was at the time we were owned by the Washington Post. And as a kid, I delivered the Washington Post for a little while. Um, so I, I, and, I, and it was, a, it's a, it was the first paper of, of consequence in my life. Uh, I was going to middle school in Northern Virginia at the time. And so I, I loved that connection. Uh, it's no longer we're not no longer owned by the post but still the the, the gram connection is still there but yes i worry very much about our ability to to sort of withstand these um the the this this big shark little fish culture in 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 media and if we, if, if we, and, and we're, we've watched it happen in newspapers, we've watched it happen in radio, uh, and I'm still trying to figure out. I, I love it when people tell me that a merger is is going to be good for me. I'm waiting. <laughs> I, I'm trying to think of the one mer, big mer, corporate merger that worked out well uh, for the consumer, and I think that's really true uh, in media. And we're going to have to, we're going to have to do everything we can to kind of guard against it, even though we're just sort of. Um, we, we're the minnows while while
5: the sharks are swimming around it, uh, we, eating each other. So it's,
3: we it's, it's, banned it's really... the word
2: synergy on our very first episode. So <laughs> so I'm with you. Uh,
5: so yeah. De- Devin, uh, you're a great anchor. You write books. You won an award for country music. I, I'm looking at uh, the Wikipedia page. Three movies all in 2011. Were you trying to launch a movie career in 2011? And what happened?
3: Well, 2011 was when we had film incentives in Michigan. <laughs> oh, so they just scooped <laughs> and, uh, you up to be generic when, uh, news reporter. It, it was an amazing—now, I actually, believe it or not, when I started uh, at the University of Kansas, I was a theater major. Okay. i didn't fall in i didn't fall for journalism until uh middle of my sophomore year uh, i was i wanted to be an actor originally and uh so it was kind of a cool way to get back to sort of my roots in a weird way but it was a real education for me in movies I was getting called constantly about uh, uh movie auditions and it was because if you think about it there is a TV reporter or anchor man in almost every movie Screenwriters have used it as uh, a mechanism to forward the story. You have a reporter say, here's what just happened, or here's what's about to happen, and they can condense some of their storytelling. I was getting called constantly, and I wasn't even, you know, I wasn't even really trying to get a job. it. That was just a really interesting. Uh, time uh, because auditions were just had. I, I could have gone to one or two a week at the time if I was uh, willing to take them. So it was a really. Cool. But I, I my, uh, my night with Wes Craven's yeah. shooting on Scream Four. One of the one of the coolest nights of my life. Really, really fun out in Manchester, Michigan.
5: Who uh, was there? Anybody else in your class at Kansas who hit it big in the movie industry? Anybody uh, you um, know? Two two people
3: who have uh, I mean a, a number of them have had uh, different Careers. kinds of yeah. success like behind the scenes I went to, to school with one gal who went on to become a, a really great casting director um, one of the uh, one of my uh, classmates at KU was a guy named Jay Carnes who was in the Shield for years. Mm-hmm. Um, Jay's uh, t- a terrific and, a, and still a good friend. In fact, uh, lives lives in Portland. Uh, and then uh, Mary Ramos was a classmate of mine and a good friend, and she has been uh, the music director on all of Quentin Tarantino's films. So, oh, um,
5: yeah, pretty Correct.
3: good, pretty good group. A couple of years before me, Mandy Patinkin came out of. Kansas. Yep. And that's all I heard about while I was there was well Mandy was so much better at this or something. And then a couple years after me was Paul Rudd. So pretty yep. good little pretty good little
5: theater department at KU. And Eric uh, Stone Street too, I think. Is that Yep, guy. No, he was K-State. Oh, K-State. State. 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 Okay. K State. Sorry. Yeah. That was by Rob Those Riggle, up.
3: Though also out of KU a couple years after me.
2: We we have to get to some sponsor reads, but Devin uh, Skillion's appearance here on The Solar is brought to you by The Truth.
5: <laughs> exactly
3: which <laughs> is why i'm into country music man three chords and the truth <laughs> are you still playing are
5: you still able to play with covid
3: uh it has been I, I i did a a series of i did a song a day in the middle of covid called the quarantine interludes online i think i got the 55 songs before Ooh. the governor lifted the stay-at-home order thank goodness for me and my my calloused fingers um but no my band and i haven't been able to play at all and there's a couple guys in my band that you know, that's, they're full-time musicians oh, no. and it has been absolutely heartbreaking to watch what's happened to, um, and that's why I, I love what, uh, Arts Beats and Eats is trying to do this year with, um, trying to find a way to just support musicians who haven't been able to, you know, play for their supper at all. So mm-hmm. if I could make one quick plea here, there's a lot of musicians that are playing online right now and they've got a little virtual tip jar out. Uh, if you're, if you haven't been so decimated by, by the coronavirus and have a few pennies to help out, those are some folks that uh, just make our life better. Music is, <laughs> music is just awesome. and And we need to support the people who create it.
5: Amen.
2: Yeah, and, and uh, Devin, if you want to send me a link to that, we'll put that on our website, com so people can find that and make a contribution. You know, my biggest disappointment with everything we've been going through is where's all the great music coming out of it? I mean, Margaret Thatcher alone created <laughs> thousands of great songs. Ronald Reagan, Nuclear Disarmament. We, we don't have a coronavirus song. We don't have a Drain the Swamp song. We don't have shit. We got Kanye <laughs> Pr- West running for president. I'm not sure that's progress. But, but Devin, thanks very much. If, if you don't know who we've been talking to... uh I, I just can't help you, but it's uh, Devin Skilling, lead anchor at WDIV Local 4. Um, please watch him uh, on Sundays. Uh, Mark, what time's Flashpoint on 10 o'clock? I, I don't job. know. Apparently, I'm yes. not watching
5: it enough, and I'm <laughs> scolded for it. And,
2: and you, can, you, <laughs> can always, you can catch those back episodes at clickondetroit.com. Devin, thank you so much yeah. for coming on. We're looking forward to having you in the studio when things get back to normal. But, uh, but thanks for your insights and all your work and for bringing a little old-school journalism into the newsroom.
3: Uh, uh, great hanging out with you guys. I really appreciate it. Good seeing you. And yeah, we're looking forward to doing it in person real soon.
2: Okay. We're looking forward to that. Looks and brains, Devin Skillian. Thanks, man. Really appreciate it.
5: You bet. Bye-bye. All guests appearing on ML Sola Detroit receive a 12-pack of Altus Lager. Oh, he loved
1: beer.
2: Uh, Devin's an East Sider, so I will get that beer to him. There is, of course, a six-pack handling fee. We went long with Devin. We could have gone another hour, but uh, but we really appreciate him making time to join us here, uh, Darren. We hope you'll stick around for our great debate. But first, we got to do a little business, um, and I want to I want to really highlight our Facebook Live sponsor, Sir Speedy. Sir Speedy uh, joined us last month as a sponsor. I don't know if it's out of the goodness of their heart or whether people are actually calling them and letting them know that they found out about them through our show. But we appreciate Sir Speedy signing up again for September. We hope they'll be with us longer than that, but it's only going to happen if you give them a call. And if you own a company that needs marketing materials, you need to listen up and you need to give them a call. They are Sir Speedy Print Signs Marketing with offices in Harper Woods, Troy, and Novi. Whenever you need, whatever you need, when it comes down to marketing materials, Sir Speedy has you covered. Brochures, signage, direct mail campaigns, promotional products, you name it, and Sir Speedy... Can do it all. And I know this because I've done some work with them when I was on the school commission at St. Clair. Believe me, we tested their ability to deliver under pressure, and every time they delivered, they have a full creative staff that can help you design whatever you need. So if you're a company that's just starting up and needs to get your marketing going, or you're a company that needs to take your marketing materials to the next level, or you're just a company that wants to do better, give them a call. Let them know that you want some help, and they will tell you how they can help you. Sir Speedy is at 586 777-7500 that's 586-777- 7500 or visit their website sirspeedydetroit.com to get your marketing project going today I won't change my mind on anything regardless of the facts that are set out before me I'm dug in and I'll never change
0: three
1: nine, three two. Three nine, three two. Three Infinity two Infinity Plus One no.
2: So before we chop it up in our great debate, I have to let you know that this segment is brought to you by my favorite butcher shop, which is the place to go for prime meats. That's the butchery on Orchard Lake Road, just west of Middlebelt. Go in this week and spend $50 or more and tell them ML sent you, and the butchery will give you a free pound of breakfast sausage links. All their sausage is made in-house from scratch by Chef Dave and Matt Jennings. Yes, that Matt Jennings, and he's better at making sausage than he is at making history lessons. <laughs> Go to butchery.com to see all their amazing selections and follow them on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to see what Chef Dave is carving up daily. 248-682-COWS is their number. That's 248-682-CWOS for the people who probably... Uh, Have our stories read to them by some caretaker. They can even have small private cooking classes with Chef Dave and Chef Julie Hubbard. Check them out. It's worth the drive. I've made it. I tell you, I'll be back. It's outstanding. I promise that you will not be disappointed. And when you get there, make sure to tell them that ML sent you. So we we have a couple of great uh, topics for our great debate. And I'm just going to uh, jump in here because I think uh, we talked a little bit about Portland. We talked a little bit about Kenosha. And I'm going to dive in with uh, the topic of counter-protesters. Do they have a right to do what they're doing? Should they be doing what they're doing? Are protesters to blame for the addition of counter-protesters to the chaos? And how should law enforcement handle this? I'll just tell you, the counter-protesters have as much a right to be there as the protesters. But if they're going there to make things better, I don't think it's working. And frankly, whatever they say... I don't think they're going there to make things better. And please send your shitty emails to mlsoulofdetroit at gmail.com. You can send me your text, your Facebook post, your Twitter post. You can send them to me at the Free Press. I, I, I know people are going to be pissed off, but here's the deal. When a city's burning, don't come with a gas can.
5: Well, why would, how is this even a debate? Of course they have the right to counter-protest.
2: Right. But should they? And are protesters to blame for this? I mean, when you say we're going to take over a city, don't people have a right to say, no, you shouldn't do that. I have a right to be in that city too.
5: It's fairly simple. Neither side should bring guns because the real damage that we see, the death and destruction comes from guns. And we've had murders on both sides. Well, I don't care if people want to call it self-defense or whatever. What happened in Kenosha was because he was there after the curfew. The police told him to go home. And then in Portland, where the Patriot Prayer guy gets murdered, we really don't know all the situation around that, but the first protester had a gun. I don't know if you're protesting why you need to bring a weapon.
2: Well, we had people in Lansing with guns. We had uh, pro-Second Amendment people, anti-mask people with guns. We've had people marching with Detroit Will Breathe the Michigan militia of love definitely on the left side of the spectrum with guns I, and that's legal. I mean, I
5: know it's legal. I just think now your
2: boy I, in Kenosha who shot some people, it was not legal for him to have a gun. So don't even try and give me, he was exercising his right stuff. Cause he certainly was not. But, um, but I mean, you know, these counter protesters, they have a right to show up and and be heard just like the protesters do. But I think the question is, should they do it? Maybe that's the debate. Should they be joining the fray should they be dipping into this uh, cauldron
0: what are they what are they there to protest mark uh where in kenosha anywhere or in Portland? portland
5: um supporting police supporting uh the government they don't maybe they don't like the message maybe they don't like um a violent protest or riots they want it to be peaceful protest i mean they have a right to express their opinion regardless of how bad it is in your in your mind or anybody else's mind they it's do. The, it's I, their opinion. I agree I mean, with there's that. There's been pro-Trump rallies where the other side has showed up and had. I mean, we saw it here with the MAGA cruise. There was an opposition protest there.
2: Yeah, I mean, so I think there's it's a, a little
0: community in Florida. Sorry, Mike, where that happens with golf carts. Right? Yes, yes. In, it's uh, sort of. Uh,
2: well, it's important to remember that counter protesters are not just from the right. It's my point. No, yeah. no, no,
0: that's, yeah, that's That's what happened in Florida.
4: You definitely have the right to do it, but it, it comes, how far do you go? I mean, do you really need to bring a gun to uh, be an anti-protester? Um, because I don't really see anything coming good out of that. And, and are you really going there for the purpose of what um, you believe in terms of um, whatever the issue is? Or are you going there to start trouble? Um, and I, I mean, and I, I just think that that is dangerous. Um, clearly, when you're carrying a gun at, at, a, uh, at any kind of anti-protest uh, situation, you know that tensions are going to escalate. And I think that's, that's problematic.
2: If the protest is coming from the right or the left... Counter-protesters, rarely have we seen them come to try and calm things down. But but one of the things that I struggle with is if the people you disagree with are the first on the scene, should you then stay away? Because it's sort of like dibs, right? If, if you're the first person to come and bitch about something, and we all have to stay away. I mean, I don't think that that's good because we all need to be heard. But I, I, I've yet to see a counter-protester come in and say, you know, I'm here to, uh, I'm here to, to listen to the other side. I'm here to embrace someone. It's more like yeah, if I'm going to embrace you, it's in a chokehold. And, 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 and we've seen, you know, we've seen people on the left be, be a little more aggressive than we would have thought of our, our granola eating friends. Um, and, uh, they're, br- they're
5: bringing weapons too.
2: I, I mean, hey, the Michigan militia through? love. I saw the same weapons on their shoulders that I saw on the Michigan militia. Mm-hmm. You know, and believe me, that of love part is uh, that's where you go from the right part of the spectrum to the left part of the spectrum. But but what I'm what I'm struggling with is, and, and maybe it's not a debate. Maybe this is my my quest for truth and uh, and and uh, enlightenment. But how do we handle this? What should we be doing when somebody's already out there marching and somebody who disagrees with them? wants to join in should we tell them beat it because everybody else who's second in the pool is pissed in the pool
0: no they they have a right to be there I, I think your image
5: of it might be a little skewed because of kenosha and what happened in. yeah Portland they testing. have a right but to be there there's been a lot of counter protests where there hasn't been violence a lot of it tends to happen after a curfew which is why they impose curfew because you know bad things happen at night and tensions are high um
2: uh, those were counter protesters in Portland, where the the prayerful protesters, what it was, he got smoked after spraying bear mace. So I sure. mean, so there's counter protesters in more than just Kenosha that have gotten out of control. I know, but th- those are two. I'm just saying, there's
5: been other counter protests, and maybe and maybe that's the that uh, hasn't led to violence. Is what you're saying? That hasn't right. led and to violence. He's right. That's just been a lot. But, of-
4: I, but I also think it's about enforcement. I mean, you're not you're the police are not just there to. Uh, bring control to to those who are protesting. They also have to be in control of of and aware of the counter-protesters as well.
0: And in um, Kenosha, sure. Darren, they were in cahoots, right? To some degree. Uh, there's video of it. I mean, I, I, I get I know
5: it. I know there's cahoots. I, I, I mean, I don't like classifying it as cahoots. They said we thank you for being out here protecting the um, was it a car dealership that had been you know a lot of cars had been smashed and, and I, like, I love your brother
0: but that's I, cahoots.
5: But however, at that same time in that same video, the long version, they do say there's a curfew, go home.
0: Right here, here's a bottle of water.
5: Go so home.
2: Is, is that well? It's so, a parting gift.
0: Yeah,
5: there's so the many other layers.
0: Are, that, I agree. The, the ahead, optics Mark, aren't
5: great, but they did tell them to go home. Could they have been a little more forceful in getting them to go home? Sure, but they're going to do that to both sides, hopefully. Hopefully, they just treat both sides the same, and maybe that's the issue. Maybe we know that they won't
0: or feel that they won't. And it's human nature, too. You're going to not align yourself, but you're going to have some empathy with folks that you think have a similar worldview, right? And a lot of folks in police departments, especially in smaller areas have some of those leanings right and i'm not saying they're bad leanings necessarily the white supremacist party is but um just the idea of guns and camouflage and protecting and how you kind of see yourself self-identity so i i understand that but um i think folks on the left would say they want that that same kind of treatment and and we've seen examples of that too right cops mm-hmm. handing out bottles of water to, especially early on in these protests so
2: i'll just tell you as someone who's been in the middle of these protests from the right and from the left Half the people are very pleasant and very sincere and very nice to deal with. And the other half are like, you can go to hell. It doesn't matter whether right or left. Everybody thinks the media is full of shit. or Not everybody, but there's a lot of people that I, I, can, I, can, I can tune out what's being said and I can see both groups acting the same way. You know? Sure. And and so I, I think hey, nothing, nothing up- has
5: changed. People are exhausted. People are pissed because nothing has changed. And then you have a counter protest because they're mad that the other side wants change. But,
2: but Darren brings up the, the, the point. I think we've all agreed. So shitty great debate topic. Good job, Albert. <laughs> counter protesters. Thanks for all your help, boys. Um, that counter protesters have a right to be there just as protesters have a right to be there. But what should law enforcement do? Because it feels like they've got their hands full with the first wave. Then they get the second wave. They probably shouldn't be hugging them and you know, you know, handing out keychains and shit like that from the police department. But um, you know, what what are police to do? It feels like every time they turn around, they're taking a punch in the face, and I guess they they deliver a few too. But
4: uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think it's a tough spot. But I also think that the police have to do a better job of. I mean, you in this, you know, when you look at Kenosha. And, you know, a guy walking through the crowd with a gun um, and at least from what I understand, moving his way past the police with a gun,
0: After you shot might want to pay attention to what he's getting ready
4: to do. Yep. You know, um, and, 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 and I've, I, I use that as the example of what um, should be done when you see uh, someone who may be out of line. It may be time to break, break ranks and to control the people who are out of line.
5: I, that's, that's a uh, dangerous, that's dangerous a, line, though, because who's to decide what who, who that is or what that line is? Obviously, if they have a gun, yeah, that person. I think the Detroit police have done a pretty good job with the protests. We haven't had too many clashing protests downtown. I mean, ML, you've been there, but they say, hey, as long as you're moving and you keep moving and you're going somewhere, we we will not enforce certain laws. Just keep moving. Then you have a situation, uh, what, it was a week and a half ago, where they said, we're going to occupy part of Woodward, and the police are like, nope, not part of the deal. And I think that's an appropriate response. Sometimes, do we get a little too focused on Kenosha and on Portland and on Seattle and not see what happens here or other places?
2: Okay, shitty great debate because I agree, but but maybe <laughs> maybe what this is really is an opportunity <laughs> to uh, make a, a cry for um, – for personal responsibility whether Amen. you're a protester yeah. whether you're a counter-protester don't be a dick and i don't think there's any debate about that
1: oh man the geeks have inherited the earth
2: Did I do that? what a
4: dork is him wanting to play with us again mean that he's turning into a geek or we're turning into cool guys
2: if you are looking to save some money maybe to skip a couple payments, this is a great time to refinance your loan. And the team at Hall Financial is working around the clock to help people save money by refinancing. If you take a look at some of these interest rates right now, it's insane. They're like 2.5% if you have the right term, good credit rating, and uh, and own your house. Pretty staggering what you can do with uh, with a refi. If you haven't refinanced in the last year, Hall Financial is here to help now is the time to lower your monthly payments and keep some extra money in your pocket. These are turbulent times and refinancing can probably help you skip up to two payments. So why not see if you can save some money and cut your term? Call Hall Financial. Ask for my man, Dan Morrison. If you're worried that uh, that people are going to come and cough on you and, you know, poke around in your private stuff, don't worry about it. Homes can be appraised without someone setting foot inside your house. Hall Financial Service is the fastest in the business and that's why they have something like 1,700 five-star 1800 reviews.
5: 1,800, breaking news. 1800. Okay,
2: they just hit eight where's, where's Devin with the... Okay, 1,800 five-star <laughs> reviews from Michigan homeowners. Go to our webpage and click on the logo for Hall Financial to get started or give them a call at 248-308-5000. Hall Financial, lower payments, better options, more personal attention. NMLS s 146 fiverr so uh geek of the week we're we're going to open up the floor i've got one that uh maybe a little more a little more serious than we're used to here but uh mark you um you had a pretty good geek and and not referring to uh anybody from any of the other shows maybe uh maybe you want to start us oh i'll
5: I'll go with uh, a person named amiri king i didn't even know who this person was they it's described as a social media influencer and cbd salesman uh in august 31st post Posted about the CDC report where um, their numbers. They said only six percent of the deaths are attributed only to COVID nineteen. Oh, that's great. Only I mean, not having any other pre existing condition. This this is based on a death certificate. You know, usually it'll say obesity, yeah.
2: diabetes, COVID. So these are Olympic athletes who got COVID.
5: Well, no, I just they had there. There's no underlying. Right. condition. So he has taken those numbers and said the real death toll is only 9200.
2: Okay, and and
5: not, not the 153,000 that the CDC has reported. He claims it's only 9200. It gets retweeted by the president, Twitter pulls it down based on fact. Um, you know, it's interesting that he'll cherry pick those numbers, but then when it comes to the 224,000 excess deaths from March to August, how do you where do those count in? What Why? what attributed to those excess deaths?
2: Perhaps so if they're saying
5: there's an overcounting some yeah. people say there's an undercounting.
2: Well, if they had uh, been consuming CBD oil, I'm sure they would have been saved. And I, I love how his experience on CBD, which folks, that's basically cannabis, something or other. It's something the boring
5: th- part of uh, cannabis. Yeah, it's
2: it's the weed it's you can get at the video light. store. Yeah, <laughs> cannabis, cannabis light. <laughs> it's the, uh, it's the, the, the bush beer of uh, cannabis. So that makes him an expert uh, on infectious diseases, which actually, uh, I mean... There's a lot of people in Washington who have less credentials as experts on, on, uh, on infections. So that's, that's a pretty good one. Sean?
0: A bit simple, quick, easy. Kyle Rittenhouse's mother for driving a seventeen her 17-year-old son with a rifle to a protest. Yeah. across state lines whatever even i don't care if it's across the one from one side of the city to the other are you saying that's bad parenting I, i'm not i don't even know is it bad parent is, it, is that the right is that what you'd call it i, I, I don't even know what it is <sighs> taking your 17 year old son with a long rifle as you like to say mark and dropping him off at a rally and knowing he has rubber gloves or whatever surgical gloves right I would, to shoot that rifle with.
2: I'm going to cut her a bake because she may have been thinking, I want this crazy asshole in my house. But uh, but yeah, strong candidate. Um, well, my uh, my nominee is, and uh, this is my show, it's the winner, uh, is <laughs> politicians who politicize things. It's your that show? It uh, was. His name's
5: on it. Yeah. It's, Look at your shirt.
2: And look at all of our fine branded merchandise. You can get this at drewandmikestore.com. dot uh, com. It's so, it's so cheap that we should probably be arrested for uh, selling it at such a low price. All
5: right, get back to your the show. Point was they all have ML on it. So yeah, go ahead, and go. get back hey, to your you show. Hey,
2: do it away with CBD gummies, man. <laughs> oh, you know what? That's right. That's right. Maybe Alex Jones will endorse it as something that will uh, prevent everything from uh, uh, pestilence to uh, to incompetence and in in, uh, in impotence. But I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna single out. Politicians who try and politicize things that are still going through the judicial process. And, and the guy who inspired me to do this is Major Justin O'Shana. He is a prosecutor with the U.S. Army who prosecuted Army Sergeant Bo Bergdahl. He said that this was one of the most difficult cases he ever handled. And the chief judge in this case said it was one of the most difficult cases ever because there were so many people who were opining on this. Now, I, I know there's some people who think this is going to be, uh, this is some sort of Trojan horse to attack Trump. It's not. Um, although he does deserve a kick in, in, the, in the crazy head for that. Susan Rice, who worked for President Obama, went on television and said Bergdahl had served with honor and distinction. Now, she weighed in early on this process. Ugh. What Trump said was that Bergdahl was uh, a, 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 a traitor, that that people died, that uh, American lives were lost trying to bring him back. Well, here's what the guy who prosecuted the case said. He said that there was no evidence he was a traitor. He said, yeah, what he did was not honorable, but he wasn't a traitor, and that no one— died as a result of him leaving his post in Afghanistan. Yes, people were injured, were hurt, and we don't want to make light of that, but nobody died. Well, by the time all the politicians from the left and the right weigh in on this, there's almost no chance that this guy can get a fair trial. And in the end, the judges said that this case, in fact, they said what Trump said about Bergdahl was, and I guess, okay, Trump lovers, I'm an asshole now, okay. But this is what the judges said. This is what military judges said, that his comments were troubling, disturbing, disappointing, inaccurate, inappropriate, and ill-advised. And the chief judge said this case is unique in modern American military jurisprudence. Let us hope that we shall not see its like again. The politicization of this case started with Democrats, continued with Republicans. So whatever party you're from, if you don't let our justice department, our justice system operate without you trying to put a finger on the scale, you... Or my geek of the week. The kids are
6: soft. I don't care for that guy. Me
2: neither. Too no. soft.
6: I'm going to pretend like you need to just make my dick go soft.
2: Sitting patiently in his uh, ivory tower or his bamboo cage on top of the ivory tower, Professor Matthew <laughs> Jennings joins us with This Week in Soft History. Matt, you've been waiting so patiently, I want you to dive right into it. Okay. in 74 Four. First, fans Luke clash Nowacki with wants to help on the final day. What the heck's going
6: on?
2: But first, Luke Nowacki <laughs> wants to help you so, 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 such a find setup. a way to get through uh, these difficult financial times. Listen, the market seems to be doing really great, but it's, 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 it's just too easy to get in and get out on your own because you're panicking, because you got a whim. You need professional guidance. You need the advice of someone who's been doing this, who knows what they're doing, like our generous, Handsome, strong, patriotic Luke Nowacki. Now,
5: now COVID free. He, uh,
2: yes, I heard about yeah. that. I, um, God, I hope he didn't get it when we were doing shots at one time. Probably it's your fault. Uh, not me, brother. Um, but some people like to save up for something really nice, like a new earring that looks cool, or maybe even a time machine that could take you back to the 90s when dudes with earrings that weren't pro athletes were a thing. If you're wondering how you can budget for a major pur- purchase, call Luke Nowacki at 248-663-4748 or email him at lnowacki at pinnaclewealthstrategies.com. That's a lot to remember. So go to our website, mlsoulofdetroit.com to find out how to get to Luke. And when you get there, please tell him that ML sent you. He can assist you to devise a plan targeted to help you reach your financial goals. And when you're dealing with Luke Nowacki, he makes it all about you, sweetheart. Securities and investment advisory
0: services offered through
5: Royal Alliance Associates Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Royal Alliance Associates Inc. is separately owned and other entities and/or marketing names, products, or services referenced here are independent of Royal Alliance Associates Inc.
2: Yeah. So, okay. So, so, Matt, I In think I think that's all our <laughs> I think that's all our sponsor reads. So let can him you do just, his thing. Can you just uh, get to the history lesson, please? Come sure, on, Matt.
0: Come on, okay. Matt. Can I yeah.
6: try it one more time? Stop slowing yes, us down, Matt. Come on, Matt. All right, five, get four, going, three. Matt. Two knows one in '74. Fans clashed. Fans with clashed with police on the final day of the Windsor Free Music Festival in Canada. Reports say things got out of hand when both with when both groups were shouting. Sorry, I'm sorry, sorry. And you know why they were clashing, right? <coughs>
2: Uh, they ran out of poutine. Why? You know, I, I was so ready for this read,
6: and then... <laughs> I know, he threw it <laughs> out. And why? the reason why was because music fans were disappointed, because all the good Canadian bands are in the U.S. I guess you like
0: forgot Nickelback. about April Wine. Okay, Matt, let's uh, start over. <laughs> so, Matt. Matt... I'm sorry, Matt, because the Geek of the Week <laughs> from Mike was longer than the entire show. Uh, I don't even know if it was a gig of the week. So nobody's blaming you for this, okay? In
6: 1996, <laughs> after four years that's of separation, Prince Charles and Princess Di formally divorce, freeing up Charles to finally date within the family. Which was okay with Di because she was willing to give up millions of pounds for a few more inches.
5: Uh, are you hitting I, your own a drum one. there? That, that's good. No, I'm hitting it. That was a good one. I like that one. That's a shower sure Oh, thanks. It.
6: You know, it did leave a kink in the royal armor. Oh, I'm sorry, two kinks. What about uh, Prince Andrew?
2: Damn, keep him away from the royal nursery. (laughs) (laughs)
1: and
6: 15 years ago this week hurricane katrina hit the city of new orleans right i i have no idea why i made that sound like a good thing Uh, oh boy (laughs) what was it like so much destruction chaos confusion no one was ready for the release of the chicken sandwich at popeyes that's a lot like how it was it was it was really bad
4: jesus
0: Darren, help us, please.
4: And and you forgot to mention Kanye. This this is the week of Kanye. No! Black people.
5: That might have been one of the most entertaining things to come out of that was uh, Kanye saying that live with Mike Myers standing next to him who had no idea where to go or what to do with that. The look on Mike
2: Myers' face was a look on my face when I saw Austin Powers 6. What? Yeah.
5: (laughs) Not funny. Oh boy, Very Matt, you one. won that segment with jokes.
2: Or no, what was the what was yeah, the boy. love guru? That was the love guru
5: was, was bad. pretty bad, yeah. Oh, I love the love guru. Of course you or did.
2: did. <laughs> well, stop <laughs> stealing his <laughs> <your> shit.
5: <laughs> hey, Matt, I'll give you the last word.
6: Bye. <laughs>
2: And as we transition from the classroom to the ballroom, we leave a broken Matt Jennings behind. But uh, we appreciate his his take on history and look forward to next week's installment in That Week in Soft History. Matt always gets
0: an A for effort. He does, and don't buddy. use "we" when you say that, please.
2: And, and for well, the royal "we," he was talking about. Oh, no, no, uh, not the Windsors. even the royal "we." You. the Windsors, the Windsor family. Why? You, oh, you're still upset about the Princess dies like, well, those of us in the Windsor dynasty.
0: You don't speak for us, my man. Maybe your
2: <laughs> show. Yeah, you know, you've been stepping on the Irish for hundreds of years. You're uh, not
0: year. even Irish.
2: Anyway, last month we had some fun playing new wave hits or new wave bands that picked other songs and covered them and sort of made them their own. We would like to, in the future, do some not new wave bands who kind of put their stamp on some classic new wave tunes. But what we're going to do this month is is play you some B-sides from bands that uh, you know and you love. And you're going to be surprised at how many of these B-sides are actually hits. And not only do I love diving into some of the great stuff that a people just didn't quite see... This gives us a chance to play a band, one of the great new wave bands that I think everything they did is terrific, so it's hard hard to find a a hit, I mean, a song that didn't really get its acclaim. But we're going to start off with XTC, and believe it or not, a B-side that became their biggest hit called Dear God.
1: Dear God, hope you got the letter and I pray you can make it better down here. I don't need a bit. Reduction in the price of meat But all the people that you made in your image See them starving on their feet Cause they don't get enough to eat from
2: So if you like XTC, making plans for Nigel, uh, the mayor of Simpleton, you know, just great stuff, terrific band. It's hard to believe that such an outstanding song was left off an album. It was the B-side to a non-album single called Grass. And it was supposed to go on Skylarking, but Andy Partridge had some some concerns about it. He thought that it was sort of an anti religious song. It's, it's really about an agnostics letter to God, and, uh, and he was a man of faith, so he had some trepidation. They left it off Skylarking, but after college DJs, who uh, were so instrumental in putting so much great new wave music in front of us, came across it, they played the hell out of it. It became one of the biggest hits ever for XTC, and the label re-released Skylarking adding Dear God to it. So there's a lot of songs that, you know, the purpose of Room 7609 is to take uh, bands you love and and give some attention to some of their best stuff that you never heard of before, or to take bands you never heard of before who should have gotten some acclaim and highlight them. As we go through the B-sides this month, what you're going to find out is that some stuff that these great bands didn't even realize was that good is outstanding, yeah. and and somebody should have realized it. Well, well, the uh, the public figured it out, and we're going to uh, spend this month sharing those with you. So if you have some nominations for us, please send them to mlsoulofdetroit at gmail.com. Guys, did you know XTC before this? Well, that's
5: easily the biggest <sighs> song.
2: Yeah.
6: And I've heard the song a million times, but I didn't know who they were.
2: So everybody keeps saying, play XTC, play XTC in room 7609. I'm just like... Everybody knows XTC. All their stuff is great and did well, but I think uh, maybe I'm just exposing myself as, uh, as a record store geek on that one. But um, if you like Room 7609, if you're one of our aficionados who wants to support this part of our show, you can buy our new Room 7609 keychains. These are some of my favorite pieces of swag that we have. Um, they are awesome. They look like an old hotel key. But when you pull one out, everybody knows that not only do you support the show, you support the Red Shovel Network, and that you've got a pass to get into Room 7609. So please check those out on our website. Um, Mark, where do people find all our great swag?
5: Uh, DroneMikeStore.com.
2: That's right. So go and get there. Buy early, buy often. Um, This is the part of the show where we thank our donors. Uh, We have no donors this week. What? No donors. So uh, Mark if, if somebody wants to correct that that absolutely I, unacceptable situation how do they do that
5: <laughs> mlsoladetroit.com. a <laughs> uh, little donate button right on the top very simple
2: yeah and, and uh, try and it we, out
5: everybody should just try it see what we, happens it's We crazy. also
2: encourage you to subscribe to the Detroit Free Press that's really easy they're asking for like a buck a month for the next three months so please do that support yeah, our journalism um, and you know I, and I think that's a great t- don't give us a buck we want more than that yeah, you don't have to give us. You don't have to sign over your estate, but you know, come on. I'll take you, it. You can spare more than a simoleon. I'll take a dollar. So uh, there's oh, also a it. way that you can give us money and get something in return, and that is our program called Cameo. Now, it's based on Cameo, which is where a celebrity or someone of of, uh, of notoriety will record a message for you. My youngest daughter got my oldest daughter a cameo for her birthday from her favorite drag queen. Uh, I think it cost her about 25 bucks or so. But if you want us to give you something like that, uh, we don't have any drag queens available, although we could probably, I don't know, maybe I have to do a little closer background check on the the crew. But if you want us to read a message for you as a gift (laughs) or a favor, we'll do it right here in the show. Please send $20 to our donation uh, portal. You can just, in the notes part, tell people what the message is. So, for instance, it might be something like... uh, Hey, Gordo, I hear it's your birthday. (laughs) I know that you're not a big fan of everything you hear on Soul of Detroit, but on behalf of all of us here on the program, even Sean, we're hoping that next year is better and that maybe your dreams will come true because it seems like a lot of your bitterness comes from a dark Scary, sad place. Anyway, happy well, birthday, Gordo, nice. from your friends Ouch. at ML's Soul of Detroit. So that's how it is. That's Who's how it he works. talking about? I don't know. It's crazy. Gordo, old friend of yours?
0: Oh, I thought you were talking about me for a second. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. no.
2: I, I mentioned you, but it was, it was strictly as a comedic <laughs> device. Um, uh, and as you can see, we've got our masks and our gators and our keychains. Please buy those. They support the show. Please subscribe to the show. Please share the show. Please rate the show. And please... Love the show. Although we we we, we happy or to hear it from it, the haters know, too. Yeah. This week we have some feedback. Finally, finally, <laughs> some film. some kind people out there. We got five stars from Sir Lai, who says, Great show. I listen every week. That's all we ask. Wow. So. all right. Five stars from Rick DeKo or D apostrophe KO. Nice, Rick. Rich Dico. I don't know. Anyways, he writes, I've been listening for the last couple of weeks. Really good show so uh so please give us your feedback and as you know we'll take it all we'll take the love we'll take the hate and we'll share it with you kind people out there uh before we go darren i wanted to to give you an opportunity to talk about your outstanding column about detroit city clerk janice winfrey Uh, we encourage everybody to vote listen I, i know that 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 everybody thinks the media is against one part or the other i don't care how you vote i just want you to vote there's some concerns that it might not be as easy as it should be across the country, but in particular, are you gonna let Darren Detroit. talk about his column? And I was of course just, ab- I, was just <laughs> I was just about to say, Darren, tell us all about it. But it did, you know, these intros get delayed by these these uh these minor birds who are just sitting on a wire chirping away and shitting on my car.
0: Or your tangents. So that was another 15 seconds. Please, Darren, go.
2: And
4: there's 18 well, seconds. Darren, just get in here. I'll give you a short version. Um, 78% of the precincts in Detroit uh, were not, they found errors uh, with the absentee ballots Uh, that gives them a rating of 28%, which in which uh, by anybody's standards is an F. Um, And this has not been the first time Janice Winfrey, uh, the city clerk has had problems uh, getting uh, the elections right. We know what happened in 2016. Um, and I, I wrote about it. I have very strong opinions about it. Um, you know, this is unacceptable in Detroit. Um, and, uh, there are calls for the states, the state, as well as, or possibly, uh, the federal government to come in to administer the election because of, uh, how crucial, uh, making sure these, these are done properly, um, and making sure that, um, uh, Janice Free gets all of that, that her poll workers get all of the assistance that they need.
2: And so um, remember, that so this
4: that election was, in
2: 2016, they yeah. may very well have come down to the yeah. vote in Detroit. We do not want to have any problems in 2020. Check out Darren's column. We will have it on our website, com. You can also find it at freep.com. Uh, We were going to ask Sean uh, what he's working on, but we're out of time. So uh, please support all our Red Shovel Network (laughs) shows. Charlie Ladoff's No BS News Hour. He has an outstanding interview with Deputy Police Chief Todd Bettison, who at one time kneeled with protesters and is now telling him to get the hell out of town. There's No Filter Sports with Eli, Denny, and Bob. And, of course, the show that makes all the other shows possible, the Drew and Mike podcast. I want to thank our special guest, Devin Skillian and Darren Nichols, Mark, Sean, and Matt. i got to thank them. It's part of their contracts. And, of course, Joey Zuber for trying to keep this show on the rails because it's been kind of a rocky one, but we're at the end. Mercifully, thankfully, gratefully, I turn to my friend Cyrus, and I say, please, Cyrus, will you take us out?
1: Can you dig that? Can you dig it? Can you dig it?
3: In the beginning, God said, let
4: there be light, and there was light. For the next six days, God created the earth and sea, the sun, moon, and stars, animals, and
3: humankind. On the seventh day, God rested. And on the eighth day, God woke up, refreshed from his nap, and made what most agree is his finest creation yet.
2: Spread the word, you friggin' turds.